Welcome to Word by Word Conversations with Writer Show on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. I'm your host, Gil Manser, and I'm pleased to welcome Maya Kobabe and Trinidad Escobar, two very talented artists who not only write their graphic novels, but draw them as well. Having been born in the Philippines during Super Typhoon Gading, is it? Mm -hmm. In 1986, Trinidad's work weaves the lush and often violent nature of her homeland with class, race, trauma, myth, and magic, spelled M-A-G-I-C-K. And for those of you in the audience who know what that means, just nod. Yes. Raised in San Jose, California, she has a B.A. in creative writing from San Francisco State and an M.F.A. in comics from the California College of Arts and is a poet, illustrator, mother, bruja, and educator. Trinidad has been a guest artist and speaker at the San Jose Museum of Art, Filipino Comics Expo, Litquake, and the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. She teaches comics and race at California College of the Arts in Oakland, California. Trinidad is part of the People of Color Comics Collective called Orpheus Forge Studio. The collective supports and creates works by cartoonists and writers of color. Their goals are to decolonize and diversify comics by supporting and creating artists of color. Trinidad is also a co-founder and artist with Three Realms Collective Coven, a two-witch warrior woman team of muralists in Oakland, California. Their aim is to create sacred space through Oakland using street art, blessed by healers, as charge centers. Her in-progress graphic memoir, Crushed, is a biomythography that explores the interior landscape of her experiences of magical transnational adoptee and the intersecting worlds of Western science and Filipino spirituality. Crushed will be published in 2017 by Rosarium Publishing, and you must be excited about that. Yes, I am. Yes, yes, I was are. excited to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. I can't wait for your book. <laughs> you may have read about Maya Kobabe in the feature article which appeared in the Press Democrat or seen her work in the PD gallery entitled The Art of Maya Kobabe, or caught her presentation at the local author showcase held at the Roner Park branch of the Sonoma County Library. She's a graduate of Summerfield Waldorf School and Farm, has a B.A. in Studio Art from Dominican University of California, and an M.F.A. in Comics from California College of the Arts. Her published comics include her autobiographical comic, The List, two 32-page chapters of The Thief's Tale, and Tom Obedlam, the 24-page comic accepted in the Society of Illustrators Comic and Cartoon Art 2016 Annual, and nominated for a Dinky Award. We're going to have to talk about that <laughs> in the best self-published comic category. Maya has shared her work at museums, galleries, libraries, and conventions from coast to coast, and is, I believe, the only word-by-word guest who have been a visiting cartoonist at the Charles Schultz Museum and a panelist at Kraken Con. <laughs> Since Trinidad's and Maya's works are so visual, we're going to be providing verbal descriptions of the artwork, and later in the show we'll Add links for you to see samples and purchase their work online. Okay, welcome, both of you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I had a chance to see Maya's work uh, projected on a screen at the library down at Rona Park, which is, I had actually seen you in the paper before, but there it was, you know, in front and center. That was your autobiographical list one. Yes. Which is shows someone who's very organized <laughs> or tries to be. I, I, I'm very 
I like lists, so that's what the title of the comic is. Um, but the thing I most like keeping track of is books. Mm-hmm. I've also worked in libraries for the past 10 years. So shelving things, alphabetizing things, these are definitely in both my nature and in my work. Ah. Well, I'm married to a former librarian, so I understand how it works. But I'm yes. the one who alphabetizes the books on the shelves. So. Does Do she that. want to organize them instead by size She and organizes color? fabric now. Oh, okay. She's a quilter and that kind of, you know, she does color amazing things. Anyway, um, tell us how you both came to be at the California uh, School of Arts and in studying comics. Oh, do you want me to go first? Yes. Okay. All right. My up first. Um, so how I got started in this, um, I always loved comics ever since I was a kid, and I read a lot of them in the newspaper, manga, everything I get my hands on. But I never really thought about drawing them actually until I'd already graduated from undergrad. I was really focused on a career in children's book illustration mm. in undergrad. Um, and then my wonderful undergrad thesis advisor, Lynn Sondag, um, sent me an email saying, hey, um, Matt Sillady, who's a teacher at CCA, will be teaching one comics class at Dominican. And as an alumni, you can audit it for free. Are you interested? And I said, definitely. Um, so in spring of 2012, I audited um, a class at Dominican with Matt Sillady. There was a, an intro to comics class. And the goal of the class was to draw a 10 or to write and draw a 10 page comic. So I came up with this little idea for a fantasy story, and there was a thief in it, and there was a monastery, and there was treasure, and Celtic knots, and all the things I like to draw. And I wrote the written script, and it was 10 pages. And then the next stage, of course, is um, thumbnails. And when I thumbnailed it, it was more like 15 pages. And then I started working on pencils, and it spread to like 20 pages. And by the time I got around to finished artwork, it was a 32-page story. So it kind of grew out of hand and in a very natural way. And um, Matt was really encouraging. He advised me to apply for a table at the Alternative Press Expo, which was in San Francisco at that Mm -hmm. time. So now I moved to um, San Jose, um, which was the first time I'd ever tabled. And he said, you should get this printed and you should sell your comic. Table. Tell me what you mean by that. Oh, it's um, having a table at a comic convention. So you, most conventions, you have to pay a certain table fee. Um, and then you are an artist and you can represent your work to the public and meet your fans and make new fans and also meet all your friends. Because one of the things that's wonderful about comics is um, it's a very um, close community. And comic artists from all all over the country but also all over the world will congregate at comic conventions every year. And it's kind of this like moving like reunion that just moves from city to city. So when Vancouver Comic Con is going on, it's in Vancouver. And when Toronto Comic Con is going on, it's in Toronto or it's in New York or San Diego or San Francisco. And you get to see all your friends. And it's wonderful. Um, so anyway, so Matt encouraged me to table at APE. <laughs> um, and I was also at that time, I was um, about two years out of undergrad and really wanting to go back for a master's. Um, I always knew I'd probably wanted to, but I was also like feeling like I wasn't getting where I wanted to go with my children's book illustration. So I was complaining to Matt. I was very sad. It's like, Matt, I wish CCA had an illustration master's program because if so, that's what I would want to apply to. They didn't have it at the time. I said, you know, I want to be in the Bay Area, but I want to do illustration. I'm stuck. I feel like I have to go to New York. I don't want to go to New York. Mm -hmm. I hate snow. Mm -hmm. Um, And And, and other things. And other things. (laughs) And he said, can you keep a secret? What he told me um, in the spring of 2012 was, I am going to pitch a comics master's program to the California College of the Arts president and the board. 
I'm going to be pitching it this summer. Um, I'll let you know if they accept my proposal. And I said, oh, my God. I can't mm-hmm. wait. Okay. Um, so um, that's so that summer he pitched his comics master's program idea and it was accepted. And I think I was within the first half dozen or dozen people that he told because I know that he told his wife, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he told some of his close friends and CC people. And then he called me up and was like, Maya, they accepted my program. We're starting um, acceptance in September and mm. you should apply. Right. And I was like, yes, I am going to apply. <laughs> um, and um, and then I got in, which was wonderful. And that's kind of how I came into it. So I was very much sort of knew about it right from the beginning and knew that I was very interested in being the first in the first ever class. All right. Trinidad, you were in creative writing at San Francisco State. So how did you get there and end up with cartoons or um, comics? Sorry. Yeah. They're different, aren't they? Are a little they? bit. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, there's intersections. Um, so I graduated from San Francisco State and going you to You want to tell Francisco. us anything before how you got to San Francisco State? <laughs> you were in San Jose, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I was in San Jose. I was um, uh, deeply uh, committed to the Filipino activist community mm-hmm. in San Jose. And uh, when I wanted to go to college, I, I decided to go to a school that had deep history in activism, especially for <laughs> yes, <I remember. laughs> especially for uh, communities of color. Um, so I went to San Francisco State, which my dad also went to, but for accounting. Hmm. Um, and he was very proud of me. And then I told him I was majoring in poetry. And he's like, OK. <laughs> OK. He just nodded. He did not really understand, but he... He accepted that, and I loved it so much. Um, graduated, and uh, I think I was looking for new ways to push poetry. Mm-hmm. So I was illustrating certain aspects of the poems, um, sometimes in the margins of my journals, and sometimes making full illustrations to present uh, to people at readings. Um, and then I... It kind of clicked one day, like, hey, I love drawing, and I want to learn more about it. I love writing. That's my passion. Why don't I do comics? Because I read them voraciously. They've always been in my life. Um, So I just kept it in the back of my mind, and I was tabling at the (laughs) Filipino Comics Expo (laughs) at the historic I-Hotel in San Francisco on Kearney Street. And a woman passed by. And she said, you know, CCA is going to be opening a master's program, and you should look into it. It's for comics, and I'm sure they would love you. And I, it was past the deadline by Ooh. that point. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to get in, but I'm going to apply just to have the practice, and maybe I'll apply again the following year. And um, I met up with Matt after I submitted my application to ask him some more questions. And during the meeting, Matt Sillity said that I was accepted. And I, <laughs> oh, I was well, shocked. Nice. Yes. It was a great meeting. And then he left me alone <laughs> on a park bench <laughs> to think about that. He was like, you're accepted. All right. Have a good day. And I was just twiddling my thumbs. Sounds like, like something you see happening? in a TV show, doesn't it? <laughs> Matt, Strange man meets on say, park bench. Yes. Matt is kind of like that. Uh, he um, is one of the glue figures of yes. the San Francisco comics community. He kind of knows everyone. And he has this way of sort of swooping in and changing your life. Um, I, I think it's something yes. that he just kind of does on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. It's, is, it's is there, for both is. of us. Does he have an avatar that appears in any of your works? 
I would now, now we should that? insert. I have him drawn somewhere. him a couple of times, but he's not in my main story. He's but not in my main story. now he's going to be in the next chapter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take credit. That. That's all right. Okay. Uh, okay. So here we are. We we've got you into the uh, master's program, and you just guys, you just took off. I mean, the list of activities that you've been to, tabling and otherwise, <laughs> you know, panels and presentations and teaching and opportunities to to share your artwork with lots of different types of people, I would say, based on the list, and where you've been all over the country and different countries even, Canada being yeah. one. Canada counts, doesn't it? Yes. That's cool. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. I want to hear all about that. Right. <laughs> and you've been doing all kinds of wonderful things with your work, too. I think so. Yeah. No, I think it's <laughs> I great. I think definitely so. Yeah. To, to be up on, uh, I mean, murals are an amazing contribution to the community. Thank you. Yeah. We're just starting that um, um, this summer. Um, we're going to do our first mural with the East Bay Meditation Center in downtown Oakland. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of calm and blissful. Yes. And we're using, um, we're asking for help from the youth sangha at the East Bay Meditation Center. They meet once a week, I believe, to meditate together mm-hmm. and are looking for a new project to uh, put their energies into. And so we offered to help them uh, do a mural in the front of the building. Neat. Mm-hmm. Very neat. So will they be part of the painting of the mural and you do the, what do they call the cartoon that does the <laughs> first, the layout or how? They're going to uh, design the mural. Ah. And then uh, they will put the foundation down, uh, all the – sort of like paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. And then uh, – We've done several projects in you know, North Bay too, the same way. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, m- me and my partner, Uni, will be doing the final touches cool. to refine the painting. Right, right. Okay. So I'm going to ask you – this is this – I've written this out, so I'm going to ask this to you. This is to, uh, to Maya. Um Two of my kids attended the Summerford Waldorf School, so I'm familiar with how the artistic expression is involved in all parts of the developmentally based curriculum. But most of the listening audience doesn't have this experience, so perhaps you could share how you and other Waldorf students learn to create with their hands, heads, and hearts. Oh, that's hands, heads, and hearts is from Rudolf Steiner, and yeah. that's the focus of all the education is, yeah, Educate the mind, educate practical skills with your hands, and also learn ethics and morality and compassion. Um, and both my parents actually are also Waldorf teachers, so this is Waldorf is very much in my family. Um, so yeah, so I attended Summerfield Waldorf High School, and that's where I really started first taking art pretty seriously after always having loved it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a type of school where um, a required class for freshmen, not optional, but required, is blacksmithing, for mm-hmm, example, because mm-hmm. um, they think that paying on a piece of hot metal is very um, good for the ninth grader temperament, um, will improve. improve well, so you identify with Thor that way. Uh, yes, <laughs> and let out a little, let off a little steam. Um, so I took so many great art classes at Summerfield. I mean, I took hat making, shoe making, clay, um, painting with acrylics, painting with oils, working with pastels and colored pencils, um, tons of watercolor, tons of different media. It let me really dabble in a lot of things and sort of pick, decide what I wanted to really study in and, and improve in. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really good for me. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, um, 
a lot of people who know Waldorf, and especially since I show a lot in Sonoma County and there are many Waldorf families here, look at my work and can tell. Like, it's because it you've, yeah. you've rounded the corners of the paper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's it. Did you know that, Trinidad? No. Oh, oh, you yeah. don't get, what they do is they have parent volunteers, what they used to, mm-hmm. who would sit and then we would cut a little you know, curl curve on the end of the paper so you wouldn't have a square paper and wouldn't be blocked into that. It's, um, is this still there true? Is, um, I don't know if they round every corner, but oh. there is def- a definite um, inclination to not use right angles mm-hmm. in Waldorf, both in art and in architecture mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. Just shake things up a little. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Lots of flow to the work, which is in your work too. Yeah. Now, well, let's talk about something. When I looked at The Thief's Tale, for instance, the first page, not, mm-hmm. the, not the cover, but the first page mm-hmm. is – obviously tied into the manja mystique because you show a building. Isn't that true? It's almost every you manja you open You mean that I up. start my first page with an establishing panel? That's the one. <laughs> I knew there had to be. See, you yes. took all these classes yes. to learn uh, the phrases. Yes, yes I did. Yes. Um, yeah, so the very <laughs> first. An establishing the, panel. The, the okay. first page of The Thieves' Tale, which is my medieval fantasy adventure comic, which can be read online at thethiefstale.com. Um, Say that again, slowly. The, thethiefstale.com. And there's no apostrophe. No apostrophe, no punctuation. Okay, no we're going to say that at the end of the show, too. Um, yeah, it's, this is the site where I host my webcomic. Um, by the way, I learned how to build a website at CCA, mm-hmm. which is a great class um, taught by Melanie Gilman. Um, anyway, so yeah, so I, I start my first page with a long um, horizontal panel um, that's, that shows the, the home of the main character, right. Owen, um, and sort of the shows that it's a sort of a farmhouse set in some rolling hills and there's trees and there's clouds and it's very sort of pastoral. It's not just a um, farmhouse. It has a specific kind of roof so you yes, know that it's, it's a not thatched, a modern – It's yeah, a thatched right. roof. It has um, sort of the medieval um, uh, sort of architecture style to sort of set you in, in the place and in the time um, in the fantasy world. And, yeah, that is a very common comics technique. I know it is very common in manga, but Western comics use it as well, an establishing shot at the Where beginning of the scene. Where do you think they scene. got the idea? Possibly from manga. Yeah. They definitely draw from manga. But what you would really notice is that later on in the chapter is when I have sets of aspect-to-aspect panels. Ah, asp- um, tell me what that means. So an aspect-to-aspect panel transitions is um, is when you decide to set a scene, but with a number of usually silent panels that just show details of, of where you are. So you show um, the roof, then you show the side, then you show the other side? Or um, usually a little closer in than that. So okay. were I, say, drawing a scene of us in this studio, I might do um, a scene of, like, s- several of the mics and then maybe some of the computer setups here and then maybe um, you leaning over your laptop. Just, like, little, like, detail moments as as if you are glancing around and noticing two or three things about your setting before you would then move into maybe a panel of of one of us in introducing ourselves or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like a... Grounding. Yes, um, which is definitely something that we learned and practiced a lot at, yes. at CCA and is a great technique um, to set a scene. Okay. I'm going to transition right over to Trinidad because in your long work, there's the, there's the picture of where you show the room and there's a table and there's something on the table in this panel. And then the next panel... You know, there's this close-up of what it is. Mm-hmm. So do you want to tell us about that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. You do. I, I hope <laughs> you do because it's a critical yes. plot point, right? Um, so actually, did you, you – no? Oh, no, no. No, I, that was very deliberate. And when you first see the character exit her room, 
uh, the the stand is right next to the door, mm-hmm. and the lighting um, kind of is uh, directing the eye to the table. Right. Um, but the focus isn't necessarily the table. And then um, you see it throughout the scene Except to from different somebody angles. who watches movies like that <laughs> yes. for a living. Right. And and then um, it zooms in to um, to lead or to turn the page. Yeah. So it's the page turner. It's mm-hmm. the final uh, panel that will get the reader to um, understand there's something not yet understood in terms of the story, and the reader will want to turn the page to find out more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your hook. It's my hook. Right. Basically. <laughs> so when you approach – I'm going to compare the two of you because you're obviously a drawer, designer, you know, figurative – and you start out with words. Do you still do that? Or yes. do your stories laid out first and then you draw the panels? Um, I write and I write words and I write the pictures simultaneously. Ah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like that. You say she wrote the pictures. Did you hear yeah. that? Yeah. Um it's many comics I don't know. Some it's interesting how some people write a really full script beforehand. I was recently talking to Tony Cliff about his process. He writes um, Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant, which is another fantasy medieval story. So I really like, I get into his work. And he apparently writes like four drafts of a full written script before he draws. And I was like, what? <laughs> because I, at most, write a series of bullet points. Mm-hmm. So like I know all the things that need to happen in you the like chapter. You like lists. That's a I, list. Uh, yes. Yeah. A list of plot points. And I often don't <laughs> even write out the dialogue until I'm penciling it. And then we'll often change the dialogue again when I'm I inking. change dialogue. Too. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And you're like, this is too many words. I'll just cut out like half of them because mm-hmm. they just don't fit on my page. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's thumbnailing. I usually thumbnail and then um, – kind of like right in the dialogue sort of at the thumbnailing stage. I don't know if you write it yeah, around Yeah, pretty that. much the same. Um, I only use dialogue if it's uh, really pushing the story, if it's necessary. Um, when I say I'm writing the words, it's just what happens in this page, what happens in this panel. Um, and then writing the pictures is um, not necessarily drawing what I had written. It's writing something different with the images so that the images say something else. And then when they're combined with the words, something uh, synergizes and is born, some new meaning. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the power of comics is when you can have the words and the images create something that neither could do alone. And that's, I think, why people fall in love with comics and are willing to spend lifetimes drawing yeah. them because it's a very time-consuming oh, media. It takes forever. Um, but when you get th- when you get that moment where it clicks and you're like, I've written these words that say that give you one feeling and this picture that gives you another feeling. And together they create an entirely third thing. Mm. It's very magical. OK, I just pulled up uh, something from we are gazillions strong dot org. OK, I'm going to say that again. We are gazillions strong dot org. And uh, in that is our chap- a chapter from your upcoming novel, Crushed. And it starts, surprise, surprise, the opening page, the entire page is <laughs> devoted to a, I guess we'll call it a landscape, which has a, an, uh, certainly a Japanese or Asian feel to it with the crashing waves and a strong stone house up on the cliff. But there's a balloon. And in the balloon it says, Marco... Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Where are you, question mark? 
exclamation point, exclamation <laughs> point. So you have this very artistic, almost classic painting or drawing, I guess. And then above it is this very pop culture with exclamation points, you know, like the 1970s kind of cartoon. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's an interesting combination. Yeah. 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 So how did you get that idea? Well, I um, at first doing that page, I remember thinking, I don't know how to draw waves. <laughs> I'm going to ah. spend the whole day practicing drawing waves. Um, and, of course, my, my uh, reference is just – whatever art I had around. So it's my mother's paintings in her house or um, things that I've just seen in books. And and then I combined it with how I draw my speech bubbles, <laughs> which is, of course, inspired <laughs> by everything I read. Um, and then it did something interesting because I showed that to a few people of different ages mm-hmm. and different backgrounds. And um, they felt like it was – and these weren't uh, comics readers necessarily – but they felt like they understood it because they had seen artwork like the waves and artwork like the bubbles. Mm-hmm. And it was doing something different in their brains that they couldn't quite articulate, which I thought was fun. Cognitive dissonance. Yes. Fancy word for it. Yes. But that's interesting because I, when you, I didn't even see that, by the way. I didn't see the fact that the bubble – everybody knows that a cartoon bubble shape is supposed to be sort of like a – ovoid or something mm-hmm. with a you know tail coming down from it right mm-hmm. that's the standard hers isn't like that hers has little sharp points sticking out from it which when you realize it adds emotion to the bubble mm-hmm. it's trying to break out of that yes. little space the line is incredibly expressive you mm-hmm. can change the direction of the line um you can change one straight line to a line with a point in the middle and you automatically know there's a sound mm-hmm. right there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a whole um kind of language of, of comics, symbols, and line work. And one word for it is emanata. So um, say that word again? Emanata. Can you spell it? Oh, is gosh. It Can you spell it, Trinidad? Yeah, E-M. E-M-E-N-A-T-A, I want to say. Yeah. Emanata. But okay. I'm not good at spelling, so you may want to double enough. check. Close enough. look it up. <laughs> um, Google will correct us for it. Um, it's a word for all those little symbols in comics that most people pick up and kind of know what they mean. So some examples are, when a character has an idea, it is very common to draw a light bulb light over bulb, their head. Right. And most people who have even read some comics, and this is it's a West, it's, it varies by culture. So the Japanese emanata are different than American emanata, mm-hmm. but a light bulb was a very distinct Western symbol for idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like having a, a little tear-shaped sweat drop maybe next to someone's head might symbolize that It was actually called the Edison idea. Stressed. Did they tell you teach you that? Um, I don't know if we heard that. We were studying it from a very pictorial point oh, of okay. view. Yeah, I'm being um, way back in start of comics in uh, newspapers. Oh, yeah, newspaper yeah, strips yeah, in, like, yeah. yeah, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Right. Um, anyway, but, yeah, so using, like, for, say, a jagged line to denote attention, anxiety, energy, higher volume mm-hmm. um, is sort of, like, another example of, of an emanata, like, use of line work to denote uh, meaning and emotion. Mm-hmm. You are listening to Word-by-Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests are Trinidad Escobar and Maya Kobabe, two talented artists and writers who create distinctively different comic books and graphic novels. Maya's long comics, The Thief Tale and Tom O'Bedlam, are available in print and online at http colon slash slash redgoldsparkspress, all one word, dot com. And Trinidad's multi-chaptered graphic memoir, Crushed, will be published in 2017. 
but excerpts are accessible online at www.wearegazillionstrong.org. Okay, back to both of you. So I'm, I'm going to go and scroll down a little bit more in Trinidad's work here, which is Chapter 4. So you've laid out, we, we haven't seen everything, but we're involved. In, we happen to arrive when a woman who's very, very pregnant, ready <laughs> to give birth, happens at exactly the same, same time as a humongous uh, typhoon, I guess it is, isn't mm-hmm. it, that's uh, crashing into their, their house and tearing it apart. The water is flooding inside. Let's see. And then there is this thing on the top of the page. I don't know how to say it, but it's S-K-S-H-H-S-H-H-K-S-H-H-S-K-H-K-S. So they say that for me. Is that the sound of the water? It's the sound of water when it passes through dry hut leaves. So if you go to the Philippines and you say, you hear the water, Filipinos know what that sound is. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. You have a you should have a little asterisk <laughs> in your because you haven't published this yet. You should explain that. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I find. That. I think it'll be clear. <laughs> well, no, it's only a <laughs> on the next page, so it must be a smaller hut or something. <laughs> and he's gasping for breath, and she's yelling, "Ai, please be careful!" Oh my gosh, he goes underwater. He and there, there, what does he see? Underwater, he sees a sirena. Which we call a mermaid. Yeah, it's kind of like a mermaid. Um, I think in, uh, not in the mythological sense, but how like children might envision a mermaid is a different kind of sea creature. But in the Philippines, a serena is the spirit of someone who used to work on the water, like a fisherman, who then reincarnates as a spirit or an actual mermaid being to protect the water. Mm -hmm. Right. In in Scotland and Ireland, they come back as uh, seals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The selkie, same yes. concept. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah, beautiful. So, that's not something you expect to see in the water in the middle of a typhoon, though. And she's being aided, but look like walruses. Yes, those are dugongs. Dugongs. Oh, right. The, yeah, that's they're the related to the manatee. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. And she is helping them get out of the house underwater. Mm-hmm. This is all in, illustrated beautifully, and it and and what I like is, <laughs> you'll like this too because you've seen this, right? I have. I love this scene. Yes, thank you. And and you'll notice that the the lines are not straight on the side of the of the illustration; they mm-hmm. move like the movement of the yeah, water. All of the panel borders and also the edges of the narration boxes are wavy, right? Which is very appropriate for a, a stormy underwater stormy scene. underwater scene. And also this. Even though it's it's rectangular, and, and one of the things that Manja does is it kind of does these weird lopsided triangular octagonal, yes. you know what I mean, shapes that are stuck in a page. And then you have to follow it, what we call backwards, because mm-hmm. it goes from right to left. And um, you sort of do that here. Let's see if I can scroll up. See what I'm trying to show? You've got boxes within boxes and, mm-hmm. and panels. 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 That's a whole panels. panels. They're called panels. Yes. Sorry. I'm going <laughs> to have to write all these things down. And then there at the bottom of the panel, very bottom of the panel, there are two paws of some kind of creature. Is it a cat? Yes. There's a, well, there's a, a dog that a you'll dog. see later in the scene. Um, but... 
it's a part of the story. My mother in the Philippines, um, she loves animals, and uh, it's a it's a major part of the main character's identity story of of coming to terms with her identity um, when she was uh, growing up in America in her adoptive family. Mm-hmm. She loves animals, doesn't know where that comes from. No one else in her family cares about animals. Um, no one wants any pets, but she's collecting pets all the time um, and saving them, taking them to shelters. And then when she returns to the Philippines to be with her adoptive or her birth mother, she opens the gate and 10 dogs run up to her. Um, so in this scene, it's a flashback. And her mother had been taking care of animals and some of the animals die in the typhoon. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, yes, it's a pretty big cataclysmic event. Right, right. Not just animals die, but people die as mm-hmm. well. Uh, where to go with this? Well, we're, we're out of the uh, stone building. Uh, she's very pregnant. The ground is littered with the uh, detritus of the receding waves. Uh, trees and fish and dead animals and trees and... Um, Certainly not a place that you would pick to bear a child. Right. Right. Now, the character in this is named, I'm trying to remember what she's called. She isn't, it's um, Nikki Escobar. Yes. But is there any similarity between Nikki's story and yours? Yes. um, It is my story. (laughs) Nikki is the name that I was given when I was adopted. Mm -hmm. So my birth name is Trinidad. And um, when I was um, adopted uh, by a Filipino-American family, they changed my name to Nicole Ah. to fit paperwork for um, a previous adoption that didn't work out. There was two. But that had already been approved. Mm -hmm. Already been approved. So uh, my parents had adopted a child named um, Nicole, and she died. They had already almost completed the paperwork. So then they went and looked for another child. And named her Nicole, and then the mother took her back last minute. And then wow. <laughs> they found me, and yes. they were like, okay, we have to call her Nicole because of the paperwork, but at home we'll privately call her Nikki so that she doesn't have bad luck. And um, so Nikki is the name of the character until uh, she gets to the Philippines when she questions why she's going by the name Nikki if it's associated with this bad past or right. this. Cursed past. Two deaths. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, well, let's say that as one grew up and discovered all these different intricate, um, can I use the word fate, that intervened, you know, in something you had no control over, you must have had some reactions. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had some reactions. Um, well, I, I, I grew up knowing I was adopted. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my adoptive parents told me I was adopted when I was three years old, and I I pretty much understood. Um, but as they taught me a little bit more of my history as years went on, as I got older, um, I began to feel like I didn't know who I was. So they would say, "Your name's not actually Nikki. It's 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 Trinidad." Oh, you're not actually this. You're this. Oh, you don't actually speak Tagalog. Your family spoke a different language. It just went on and on, and I felt lost. Because you were from Bataan. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, so totally different. And my, my family in the Philippines is originally from Samar, which is on the other side mm-hmm. of the Philippines, and they speak a very distinct 
language called Warai Warai. And almost no one in America speaks it. I can't learn it because I have no friends who speak it. Um, It's really difficult. Um, So it made me feel really um, lost. So when I decided to be with my family and and spend time and learn from them, my world just completely flipped. This is your birth family. Uh, Yeah, when I went back to see my birth family, everything just flipped. And I um, needed to make a book about it to remind myself (laughs) all the things that I'd learned. Wow. From my perspective as Trinidad's classmate, um, I met Trinidad in 2013, and she was working on what sounded like a very exciting, also sort of semi-memoir sort of, yeah. um, um, graphic novel called Rooster House, mm-hmm. which you hope to also someday make. Yeah. Um, so she had these beautiful character designs and all of this work, you know, like half the script written. Um, and then she went on this trip over winter break, was it, back to mm-hmm. your birth family? Mm-hmm. And we saw these pictures and these just floods of family and emotions and these smiles and people with her nose and people <laughs> with her with her eyes um, that we'd never seen before, you know, on Facebook and all the right, social media. Right. And she came home and she's like, hi, spring semester. So um, I'm changing my thesis. <laughs> and so it was, we're halfway through a two-year master's program at yes. this point. And most people, you know, you've put so much work in already. And she comes and she's like, so I wrote another book. <laughs> it's called Crushed. It's going to be my thesis. I'm starting over. And we're all like, oh, my God, Trinidad. I know. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> um, but she was sure. Like, as soon as we saw the new drawings, we're like, yes, this is a, you, you should make that other book, too. But this book you need to make now. Right, um, right. It's a, a so very It's very, power, it was very exciting, yeah. too. Because all of us in the program, there are only 10 people in our class, we're very close. Very we close. all got to know each other's work extremely intimately, and we would critique each other's work on a, like, you know, like on a weekly basis some some parts of the semester. So we were all seeing each other's work as it transformed and as it developed. And um, it was really a privilege to be privy to so many different people's, um, like, development, too. It was, like, I definitely think we, we learned so much from our teachers, but we learned so much from each other as I well. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when did you be, decide to be Trinidad to the world? Um, after that trip, <laughs> a couple of winters ago, um, I came back and um, I started calling myself Trinidad. Uh, and then I slowly started asking my classmates, who I felt very close to, um, and some close friends to call me Trinidad. Uh, but like when I went to go order something at the coffee shop, I still wasn't giving my, my real name. It, I felt so <laughs> torn, you know? Like, so it says Nikki on the cup. Yeah, it, and yeah. it was so confusing. And then I started getting used to my close friends calling me Trinidad. So when someone called me Nikki, I wouldn't answer anymore. Mm. So that's when I decided, okay, if I'm not answering it to it anymore, it's not my name. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the Trinidad name, which everybody, you know, I know probably would put in the, you know, the Caribbean somewhere yeah. by, by Tobago, right? Yeah. Everyone asks if um, I have family from there, and that's why I'm named after uh, a country. But <laughs> I, um, uh, Trinidad in, in Spanish means the Trinity. And my mother uh, in the Philippines, my birth mother, her name is Trinidad, and I'm her junior. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Logic. See, I knew, there was, I knew there was something there that had... All about it. Okay, you talked a little bit about the thief's tale, but I need to hear about Tom O'Bedlam, <clears throat> the one that's getting all this uh, notoriety. <laughs> it's or so, something. It's beautiful. I have a copy for you. I'll oh, give it to yay. you after the show. Um, so when so the the master's program that we we're in um, lasted from it started in the summer of 2013 and mm-hmm. it lasted through last summer summer of 2015. And during that time, I worked on the thief's tale. 
um, like daily, pretty much. You know, it's a lot of work. And um, when I finished the program, I was like, okay, I have, I'm, a, I'm well started. I have, I have a long way to go, but I need a little break. So I set down the thief tale, which was my master's thesis, and I picked up this poem. Tom of Bedlam, which is an anonymous English ballad written, I think the first published version is from 1605, so it's earlier than that. It's like, is a drinking song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. there's a version that's a drinking song. Um, there's a couple different a couple different versions set to music. Um, and I, I have always loved, I've loved this poem since the first time I saw it. And I had, I don't know if you guys have heard of 24-Hour Comic Day, I know Trinidad has. 24-Hour um, Comic Day is this crazy event invented by Scott McCloud, who's one of the academic um, leaders of comics, I guess you could call him, where you try to draw a 24-page comic in 24 hours and you do not sleep. Mm -hmm. And I thought in 2013 that that drawing a 24-page comic about a guy who was literally going crazy would be a perfect perfect (laughs) thing to spend all night staying up doing. So I had had drawn a rough draft version in pencil in 2013. um, And then... After I finished the program, I was like, I need to finish the story because it's still speaking to me. Um, So it's a poem um, supposedly from the point of view of Tom, who has escaped Bedlam Asylum. And he is wandering um, naked in the English countryside asking, will anyone give me any food, any feeding, feeding, drink or clothing? Come, Damer Maid, be not afraid. Poor Tom will injure nothing, is the chorus of the mm-hmm. poem. Mm-hmm. And he sort of um, has these wild entreaties of these, there's hags and there's goblins chasing him, and he's been in prison for, for 50 years, though he's only 35 years old. And, um, and he's, he's seeing these falling stars, and he's seeing Greek gods in the skies. And it's just very strange and very um, vivid, very vivid images in the words. Um, so I wanted to illustrate this and I wanted to do something like how do how do you add to such a visual poem, which is always well another question in comics, especially when you're working from a finished text. It's how do you bring something new to it with pictures that isn't already just there in the words? Um, so I went with a lot of very non-traditional page structures. I have a lot of pages that are full bleed with mm-hmm. no panels mm-hmm. or very organic panel borders made out of tangled plants right. or things like that. Um, it just feels different when you when you see it. Yes. yes. So um, this comic, I challenged myself to ink it with a dip pen, um, which is a crow quill pen, which is one with a. a you mean a really sh- a, a, a feather? <laughs> it's not actually a feather, but it's a metal tipped pen with a tip that is is the shape of the quill that they used to ah, cut the feather, okay. and dipping in ink, um, which is a technique I had only practiced sort of in a small way. So are there that. ink drips on some of the panels? Uh, there are a few. Yeah, there are a few. There's some whiteout on those pages. Um, so I challenged myself to use this new method of um, of inking with a quill because I wanted to sort of match the, the historical um, time period of the poem with also my artistic method. Mm. Um, and parchment too? No, no, it's just on Strathmore, good old Strathmore <laughs> Bristol drawing yeah, paper. Okay. Um, and um, I divided up the poem, so I illustrated uh, the same set of lines for every page, and it broke down to a nice 24-page comic. And I tried to weave together, um, I don't know how many people read this in it, but there are pages that are have their full bleed that sort of tell Tom's mad past, mm-hmm. and there are pages that have a more organized panel structure and panel borders and white bleeds that are the 
present day, I say, sort of mm-hmm. with air quotes, um, that's the hymn that is speaking about the past. And these two stories um, start to separate at the beginning and then um, come closer and closer and then collide at the end. Um, and it was a really fun project to work on. I really enjoyed it. I totally just try to be just I just try to put everything in there. There's like a heraldry page. There are fairies. There's a, a knight, a battle of two knights with a sword and a flaming spear. Um, and there's um, there's like there's some sex. There's some violence. There is so some, there's some there's some darkness in this story, um, which is a nice contrast to my usual work. The Thief's Tale is a all ages story. So it's right. Right. Safe for kids. Um, so I wanted to do something that was just totally different. Right. Um, Start out and with a also, naked man on the first page. Exactly. Yeah, he, he yeah. is fully nude on page one, right. um, which is in the poem. Anatomically correct, I might add. Yes. yes. Um, but, I mean, he's, he says in the poem um, that that is the state that he is in. And in his. Um, well, that's how they were kept in Bethlehem. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. For a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was great to work on, and I, I self-published it. And it's... Um, it's been getting a lot of like notice. People tend to seem to like it, which mm-hmm. is really nice. Um, even people who are kind of like, I don't know what I'm looking at, um, <laughs> which is a fairly <laughs> common response. Um, but I was very, very honored to have it accepted into the Society of Illustrators Cartoon um, and Comic Art Annual this year. I mailed one page to New York. Um, it's going to be up in a show this summer. Great. Which um, page did they pick? Oh, I chose I chose one of my favorite pages. I believe it is page twenty three. Um, just before the end. Just before the end, and it's a page of um, Tom battling an unnamed maiden in the guise of a knight. Um, There's a gee whiz! You went right back to your mythology there, didn't yes. you? Yes. Yes, and actually, it leads right back straight to Waldorf. Is uh, well, that's what I, was... I say. I learned about the Greek gods. So when I draw when I draw Apollo and Ares and Aphrodite, I'm you know I'm. These are these is myths that I learned as a fifth grader in Waldorf right, school. Right. So, and there was one of the things that I found both on both of your websites, uh, which was fascinating, is you do this blog, which is a way for you to show. I mean, I went back to the beginning on both of yours. Oh, thank you. Forward. <laughs> and uh, because I wanted to see w- how you developed and what mm. you did different, you know, and uh, how this was evocative or you know, sort of copying this, and then as you got more mature. In your work, it was your work. It yes. was all your work. But there's pages there where they show, for instance, the characters that are in the, you know what I'm talking about. You've got all the characters. Mm-hmm. Like from, a lineup. Yeah, in a lineup. And mm-hmm. you did the same thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Probably, probably some class project, right? Um, I think we did have an assignment to do character lineups at Alec. one point. Yeah, Alec mm-hmm. Longstreth, one of our great <laughs> <laughs> One of many of our wonderful teachers. But it's also just a really common thing both in comics and animation to do a lineup of your characters and then turnarounds, which is the character from every point of view. So you can see like how their clothes ah, look on the front versus like on the, the back. Like the little 3D maquettes that they yeah. do for the Disney animation. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Good practice. Interesting. So what other little tricks of the trade do you want to share with our listeners? Who'd like to go first? If you can share them. <laughs> tricks I mean, of I the trade. Yeah. No, I mean, like things for instance, how, how does... You know, when you write a book, you know, mm-hmm. and you turn to the back and it says, uh, you know, this is a coming-of-age tale, mm-hmm. shelve it at such and such. You've got a kind of a, a niche, I guess, mm-hmm. already figured for it. Mm-hmm. What do you do with a comic book? Does the same thing happen even when self-published? Once you've already Once completed you've it completed and the finished it. book is in your yeah, hands? Yeah, Well, before it's finished because you have to put it on the back cover or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Well, there's comics in as many genres as there are novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that's really exciting about comics now is that there's 
a greater and greater understanding is that comics can be for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, there were for a long time comics were thought of as kind of kids reading mm-hmm. and especially boy kids mm-hmm. reading or low reading um, level. People, yeah, yeah, but there's more and more comics um, that are written by women, written by. Um, queer authors written mm-hmm. by authors of color and that are aimed at every audience and there's fiction there's nonfiction, there's adult there's all ages mm-hmm. um so I, I don't think you have to limit yourself i think i really feel like i just draw whatever story i want <laughs> and i put it out there and um yeah i i'm gonna let the booksellers decide where to shelve it yeah <laughs> yeah i think um like my story isn't um, a traditional memoir, right? Like <clears throat> memoir, um, unlike biography, it can include memories and, and, and your dreams as well and other people's recollections. Mm-hmm. But mine also includes <laughs> mythological creatures yes. that I assert and, are and real. And the supernatural <laughs> and magic yes. with the, you well, know, the GIK the... and the, uh, yeah. yeah. What's the word you, auto-mythography? Mm-hmm. I yeah. love yeah. that yeah. word. You should talk about that word. That's from, that's a, a term, um, that was coined by Audre Lorde. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she first uses it when she describes Zami, a new spelling of my name. And that book really influenced me. She uses um, history, political history, uh, her family's history, her personal experiences, dreams, and her culture's mythology and folklore. And asserts all of it's real, all of it creates who she is, and mm-hmm. she has every right to put it in this book and call it nonfiction and and that just influenced it. me heavily growing up right well by labeling it nonfiction you know she's changed the whole paradigm mm-hmm. hasn't she yeah yeah mm-hmm. what we call creative creative nonfiction, nonfiction. yeah mm-hmm. right that's what I did with my book is that fortunately I'd been working on it for 17 years and I went to a class and they taught me if you do creative nonfiction, you can move things around. It doesn't matter what sequence yeah. it is. I love creative nonfiction. Yeah, that's wonderful. It gives you so much freedom to do things and make the story arc work. Mm-hmm. So when you do – this is more back to the basics. When you do a comic and you do – uh, how long is yours going to be? Cause Mine is 140 pages. Yeah, that's mm. amazing. Well, not Isn't well. It? Uh, it's a hundred like twenty pages. Well, yeah. uh, with all the front yeah. pieces and back pieces yeah. and illustrations and dedications, it'll be one hundred and forty. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. So, but that's a pre- that's a major work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it takes forever to make a comic. Oh my god! I right now I um I have two children mm-hmm. and I have to. One who just graduating work. from eighth grade. Eighth grade, right. yes. Yeah. This Thursday. I'm so proud of him. All right. Um, yes. So my time to do my comic and, and is... you should say they're both boys, right? I have two boys. Two magical boys. Too, oh, they're perfect. Oh, they're so okay. much fun. And my energy matches theirs, so they never outdo me in any aspect <laughs> of my life. <laughs> they're trying to keep up with me. Right. Um, but I... Uh, I take care of them during the day. They go to school, all that. I do errands in the day. I do my illustrations, uh, commissions for mm-hmm. as my job. Mm-hmm. And then in the evening, after they go to sleep, I stay up from – I put my son to sleep around 9. And then I stay up until 5 in the morning. And do I can really? get two pages done if I stay up till then. Wow. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Because I, it's quiet yeah, then. It is very quiet. I have no one to interrupt me. And then I get to sleep in until 11 because my, my husband 
takes over the morning shift and takes them to school, and I don't have to Does worry the about that. And lunches and yes. all that. Right. And he's a chef, so they get oh, good lunches. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've had they make um they make vegan Filipino food, and it is amazing. Thank you. So, what about your uh, work experience? How do you put things together? Do you do you sit in a little room with you know stare at the walls, or you have a beautiful view of the bay, or what is it? Um, no, I, you're in Santa Rosa. I, yeah, I live in Santa Rosa. Um, I live with my parents. Um, there is one room of our house that has windows on two sides and looks over our small yard. And my mother's quite a gardener, so I do have a nice view of our little garden. And we have two cats who run around out there and distract me with. Pain, pitiful meows, like, please, please come. The cute little tiger stripe one I've seen yeah. in your blog. Yes. Yeah. Um, but so I work actually evening shifts as um, at a library. So I work um, usually like three to five evenings a week. Um, so I wake up as early as I can make myself and then draw during the day and then often um, – like make dinner for my parents since they're getting home from work and then I leave for work. So I we also work in shifts. So like yeah. I'm home all day and mm-hmm. then they're home at night. Right. So it's it's kind of funny. Um, but so yeah, so I work at the library. Um, I do teach on, on and off. I mm-hmm. taught for two years. I taught one afternoon a week at um, Sunridge School in Sebastopol. I taught art elective classes to junior high students, which was super fun. They love comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone loves comics, but no one loves comics like 12-year-olds. They love <laughs> them so much. Um, I do a lot of conventions, like we mentioned earlier. Right. So I, I try to go to five to ten conventions a year. Wow. Um, so I do a lot here, like, in the Bay Area. So I'll actually be at the um, Queer Comics Expo in San Francisco later this month. Um, I'll be do you on- remember the dates? Um. Yes, it is June. Oh gosh, it's either the seventeenth and eighteenth or the eighteenth and nineteenth. That weekend. That weekend. Okay. Um, but I'm going to be on a, a panel with um, uh, Bex, one of our classmates, um, and another artist, um, Scout, and we're both going to and Emmerich, who's also a CCA student, and we're going to talk about uh, queer comics and drawing them. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, I was in Vancouver earlier this year. Um, I will be going down to Southern California. I'll be at San Diego Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going nice. up to Portland for Rose City in the fall. So I try to do a lot of events. And mm-hmm. I, still, I sell my books and I sell um, illustrations at, at shows. Right. Yeah. And you also have them online too. I do. Yeah. You awesome. have been listening to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests were Trinidad Escobar and Maya Kobabe, two talented artists and writers who create distinctively different comic books and graphic novels. Maya's long comics, The Thief's Tale and Tom O'Bedlam, are available and printed online at redgoldsparkspress.com. And Trinidad's multi-chaptered graphic memoir, Crushed, will be published in 2017. I did 140 pages long. But excerpts are accessible at We Are Gazillions Strong. That's only one S in after gazillions. We Are Gazillionsstrong.org. The studio engineer for today's show is Jesse Fancushin. Our station manager is Sean Knight. Radio coordinator is Wendy Nicholson. Our theme music is by Bill Conti, and I'm your host, Gil Manser. I do want to say you should look online and Google both Maya Kobabe, that's M-A-I-A-K-O-B-A-B-E, and Trinidad Escobar, just as it sounds, uh, because they, they have all kinds of stuff. Just just look at it. Open them up and look at their blogs and see their history right there in front of you. It's exciting to do. We want to invite you to KRCB-FM's next word-by-word conversation with the Writers Show from 4 to 5 on Sunday afternoon, July 10th. Until then... 
I dance and cast circles around myself. I am a crown wreath upon my own door. There is no food for your demons here. Ah! Uh -huh. 